0: Chapter Four Part One of Hilda Wade. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. Hilda Wade A Woman with Tenacity of Purpose by Grant Allen. Chapter Four Part One The Episode of the Man Who Would Not Commit Suicide. After my poor friend Legate had murdered his wife, in a sudden access of uncontrollable anger, under the deepest provocation, the police naturally began to inquire for him. It is a way they have. The police are no respecters of persons, neither do they pry into the question of motives. They are but poor casuists. A murder is for them a murder, and a murderer a murderer it is not their habit to divide and distinguish between case and case with hilda wade's analytical accuracy as soon as my duties at st nathaniel's permitted me on the evening of the discovery i rushed round to mrs mallett's the gates sister i had been detained at the hospital for some hours however watching a critical case and by the time i reached great stanhope street i found hilda wade in her nurse's dress there before me. Sebastian, it seemed, had given her leave out for the evening. She was a supernumerary nurse attached to his own observation-cots, a special attendant for scientific purposes, and she could generally get an hour or so whenever she required it. Mrs. Mallet had been in the breakfast-room with Hilda before I arrived, but as I reached the house, she rushed upstairs to wash her red eyes and compose herself a little before the strain of meeting me so i had the opportunity for a few words alone first with my prophetic companion you said just now at nathaniel's i burst out that legate would not be hanged he would commit suicide what did you mean by that what reason had you for thinking so Hilda sank into a chair by the open window, pulled a flower abstractedly from the vase at her side, and began picking it to pieces, floret after floret, with twitching fingers. She was deeply moved. "'Well, consider his family history,' she burst out at last, looking up at me with her large brown eyes as she reached the last petal. "'Heredity counts! And—' "'After such a disaster!' "'She said, disaster, not crime. "'I noted mentally the reservation implied in the word. "'Heredity counts,' I answered. "'Oh, yes, it counts much. "'But what about Legate's family history? "'I could not recall any instance of suicide among his forebears.' "'Well, his mother's father was General Fascali, you know,' she replied after a pause, in her strange, oblique manner. Mr. LaGate is General Fasgali's eldest grandson. Exactly, I broke in, with a man's desire for solid fact in place of vague intuition, but I fail to see quite what that has to do with it. The general was killed in India during the mutiny. I remember, of course, killed bravely fighting. Yes, but it was on a forlorn hope for which he volunteered, and in the course of which he is said to have walked straight into an almost obvious ambuscade of the enemies now my dear miss wade i always dropped the title of nurse by request when once we were well clear of nathaniel's i have every confidence you are aware in your memory and your insight but i do confess i fail to see what bearing this incident "'can have on poor Hugo's chances of being hanged or committing suicide.' "'She picked a second flower, and once more pulled out petal after petal. "'As she reached the last again, she answered slowly, "'You must have forgotten the circumstances. "'It was no mere accident. "'General Fascoly had made a serious strategical blunder at Jansi. "'He had sacrificed the lives of his subordinates needlessly.' He could not bear to face the survivors. In the course of the retreat he volunteered to go on this forlorn hope, which might equally well have been led by an officer of lower rank, and he was permitted to do so by Sir Colin in command, as a means of retrieving his lost military character. He carried his point, but he carried it recklessly, taking care to be shot through the heart himself in the first onslaught. That was virtual suicide, honorable suicide, to avoid disgrace, at a moment of supreme remorse and horror. "'You are right,' I admitted after a minute's consideration. "'I see it now, though I should never have thought of it.' "'That is the use of being a woman,' she answered. I waited a second once more, and mused. "'Still... "'That is only one doubtful case,' I objected. "'There was another, you must remember, his uncle Alfred. "'Alfred Legate? "'No, he died in his bed quietly, Alfred Faskely. "'What a memory you have!' I cried astonished. "'Why, that was before our time, in the days of the Chartist riots!' "'She smiled a certain curious sibling smile of hers.' Her earnest face looked prettier than ever. I told you I could remember many things that happened before I was born, she answered. This is one of them. You remember it directly? How impossible! Have I not often explained to you that I am no diviner? I read no book of fate. I call no spirits from the vasty deep. I simply remember with exceptional clearness what I read and hear, and I have many times heard the story about Alfred Faskely, so have I, but I forget it. Unfortunately, I can't forget. That is a sort of disease with me. He was a special constable in the Chartist riots, and being a very strong and powerful man, like his nephew Hugo, he used his truncheon, his special constable's baton, or whatever you call it with excessive force upon a starveling london tailor in the mob near charing cross the man was hit on the forehead badly hit so that he died almost immediately of concussion of the brain a woman rushed out of the crowd at once seized the dying man laid his head on her lap and shrieked out in a wildly despairing voice that he was her husband and the father of thirteen children Alfred Faskely, who never meant to kill the man, or even to hurt him, but who was laying about him roundly, without realising the terrific force of his blows, was so horrified at what he had done when he heard the woman's cry, that he rushed off straight to Waterloo Bridge in an agony of remorse, and flung himself over. He was drowned instantly. "'I recall the story now,' I answered." But do you know, as it was told me, I think they said, the mob threw Faskely over in their desire for vengeance. That is the official account as told by the Legates and the faskalis They like to have it believed their kinsman was murdered, not that he committed suicide. But my grandfather, I started, during the twelve months that I had been brought into daily relations with Hilda Wade that was the first time i had heard her mention any member of her own family except once her mother my grandfather who knew him well and who was present in the crowd at the time assured me many times that alfred Faskely really jumped over of his own accord not pursued by the mob and that his last horrified words as he leaped were i never meant it i never meant it However, the family have always had luck in their suicides. The jury believed the throwing-over story and found a verdict of willful murder against some person or persons unknown. Luck in their suicides! What a curious phrase! And you say, always? Were there other cases, then? Constructively, yes. One of the legates, you must recollect, went down with his ship "'just like his uncle, the general in India, "'when he might have quitted her. "'It is believed he had given a mistaken order. "'You remember, of course, he was navigating, lieutenant. "'Another Marcus was said to have shot himself by accident "'while cleaning his gun, after a quarrel with his wife. "'But you have heard all about it. "'The wrong was on my side,' he moaned, you know, "'when they picked him up dying in the gun-room.' and one of the Fasculi girls, his cousin of whom his wife was jealous, that beautiful Linda, became a Catholic and went into a convent at once on Marcus's death, which after all in such cases is merely a religious and moral way of committing suicide. I mean for a woman who takes the veil just to cut herself off from the world, and who has no vocation, as I hear she had not she filled me with amazement that is true i exclaimed when one comes to think of it it shows the same temperament in fibre but i should never have thought of it no well i believe it is true for all that in every case one sees they choose much the same way of meeting a reverse a blunder an unpremeditated crime the brave way is to go through with it and face the music letting what will come the cowardly way is to hide one's head incontinently in a river a nose or a convent cell Legate is not a coward i interposed with warmth no not a coward a manly spirited great-hearted gentleman but still not quite of the bravest type he lacks one element the legates have physical courage enough and to spare but their moral courage fails them at a pinch they rush into suicide or its equivalent at critical moments out of pure boyish impulsiveness a few minutes later mrs mallet came in she was not broken down on the contrary she was calm stoically tragically pitiably calm with that ghastly calmness which is more terrible by far than the most demonstrative grief. Her face, though deadly white, did not move a muscle. Not a tear was in her eyes. Even her bloodless hands hardly twitched at the folds of her hastily assumed black gown. She clenched them after a minute when she had grasped mine silently i could see that the nail stuck deep into the palms in her painful resolve to keep herself from collapsing hilda wade with infinite sisterly tenderness led her over to a chair by the window in the summer twilight and took one quivering hand in hers i have been telling dr cumberledge lina about what i most fear for your dear brother darling and i think he agrees with me Mrs. Mallet turned to me with hollow eyes, still preserving her tragic calm. "'I'm afraid of it, too,' she said, her drawn lips tremulous. "'Dr. Cumberledge, we must get him back. We must induce him to face it.' "'And yet,' I answered slowly, turning it over in my own mind, "'he has run away at first. Why should he do that if he means to commit suicide?' i hated to utter the words before that broken soul but there was no way out of it hilda interrupted me with a quiet suggestion how do you know he has run away she asked are you not taking it for granted that if he meant suicide he would blow his brains out in his own house but surely that would not be the legate way they are gentle-natured folk they would never blow their brains out or cut their throats for all we know he may have made straight for waterloo bridge she framed her lips to the unspoken words unseen by mrs mallet like his uncle alfred that is true i answered lip-reading i never thought of that either still i do not attach importance to this idea she went on i have some reason for thinking he has run away elsewhere and if so our first task must be to entice him back again what are your reasons i asked humbly whatever they might be i knew enough of hilda wade by this time to know that she had probably good grounds for accepting them oh they may wait for the present she answered other things are more pressing first let Lena tell us what she thinks of most moment mrs mallet braced herself up visibly to a distressing effort you have seen the body dr cumberledge she faltered no dear mrs mallet i have not i came straight from nathaniel's i have had no time to see it dr sebastian has viewed it by my wish he has been so kind and he will be present at representing the family at the post-mortem he notes that the wound was inflicting with a dagger a small ornamental norwegian dagger which always lay as i know on the little whatnot by the blue sofa i nodded assent exactly i have seen it there it was blunt and rusty a mere toy knife not at all the sort of weapon a man would make use of who designed to commit a deliberate murder the crime if there was a crime which we do not admit must therefore have been fully unpremeditated i bowed my head for us who knew hugo that goes without saying she leaned forward eagerly dr sebastian has pointed out to me a line of defence which would probably succeed if we could only induce poor hugo to adopt it he has examined the blade and scabbard and finds that the dagger fits its sheath very tight so that it can only be withdrawn with considerable violence the blade sticks i nodded again it needs a hard pull to wrench it out. He has also inspected the wound and assures me its character is such that it might have been self inflicted. She paused now and again and brought out her words with difficulty. Self inflicted, he suggests. Therefore, that this may have happened, it is admitted, will be admitted. The servants overheard it. We can make no reservation there. A difference of opinion. An altercation even took place between Hugo and Clara that evening? She started suddenly. Why, it was only last night. It seems like ages. An altercation about the children's schooling. Clara held strong views on the subject of the children. Her eyes blinked hard, which Hugo did not share. We throw out the hint, then, that Clara, during the course of the dispute, we must call it a dispute accidentally took up this dagger and toyed with it you know her habit of toying when she had no knitting or needlework in the course of playing with it we suggest she tried to pull the knife out of its sheath failed held it up so point upward pulled again pulled harder with a jerk at last the sheath came off the dagger sprang up it wounded clara fatally Hugo, knowing that they had disagreed, knowing that the servants had heard, and seeing her fall suddenly dead before him, was seized with horror. The legate impulsiveness. Lost his head, rushed out, fancied the accident would be mistaken for murder. But why? A QC, don't you know? Recently married, most attached to his wife. It is plausible, isn't it? So plausible i answered looking it straight in the face that it has but one weak point we might make a coroner's jury or even a common jury accept it on sebastian's expert evidence sebastian can work wonder but we could never make hilda wade finished the sentence for me as i paused you could the gate consent to advance it i lowered my head you have said it i answered not for the children's sake mrs mallet cried with clasped hands not for the children's sake even i answered consider for a moment mrs mallet is it true do you believe it she threw herself back in her chair with a dejected face oh as for that she cried wearily crossing her hands before you and hilda who know all what need to prevaricate how can i believe it we understand how it came about that woman that woman the real wonder is hilda murmured soothing her white hand that he contained himself so long well we all know hugo i went on as quietly as i was able and knowing hugo we know that he might be urged to commit this wild act in a fierce moment of indignation righteous indignation on behalf of his motherless girls under tremendous provocation but we also know that having once committed it he would never stoop to disown it by a subterfuge the heart-broken sister let her head drop faintly so hilda told me she murmured and what hilda says in these matters is almost always final we debated the question for some minutes more then mrs mallet cried at last at any rate he has fled for the moment and his flight alone brings the worst suspicion upon him that is our chief point we must find out where he is and if he has gone right away we must bring him back to london where do you think he has taken refuge the police dr sebastian has ascertained are watching the railway stations and the ports for the continent very like the police hilda exclaimed with more than a touch of contempt in her voice as if a clever man of the world like hugo Le gate would run away by rail or start off to the continent every englishman is noticeable on the continent it would be sheer madness you think he not gone there then i cried deeply interested of course not that is the point i hinted at just now He has defended many persons accused of murder, and he often spoke to me of their incredible folly when trying to escape in going by rail or in setting out from England for Paris. An Englishman, he used to say, is least observed in his own country. In this case I think I know where he's gone, how he went there. Where, then? Where comes last? How first? It is a question of inference. Explain, we know your powers. Well, I take it for granted that he killed her. We must not mince matters. About twelve o'clock, for after that hour the servants told Lina there was quiet in the drawing-room. Next, I conjecture, he went upstairs to change his clothes. He could not go forth on the world in an evening suit and the housemaid says his black coat and trousers were lying as usual on a chair in his dressing-room which shows at least that he was not unduly flurried after that he put on another suit no doubt what suit i hope the police will not discover too soon for i suppose you must just accept the situation that we are conspiring to defeat the ends of justice no no mrs mallet cried to bring him back voluntarily that he may face his trial like a man yes dear that is quite right however the next thing of course would be that he would shave in whole or in part his big black beard was so very conspicuous he would certainly get rid of that before attempting to escape the servants being in bed he was not pressed for time he had the whole night before him so of course he shaved on the other hand the police you may be sure will circulate his photograph we must not shirk these points for mrs mallet winced again will circulate his photograph beard and all and that will really be one of our great safeguards for the bushy beard so masks the face that without it hugo would be scarcely recognizable I conclude, therefore, that he must have shorn himself before leaving home, though naturally I did not make the police a present of the hint by getting Lena to ask any questions in that direction of the housemaid. "'You are probably right,' I answered. "'But would he have a razor? I was coming to that.' "'No, certainly he would not. He had not shaved for years.' and they kept no man-servants which makes it difficult for him to borrow one from a sleeping man so what he would do would doubtless be to cut off his beard or part of it quite close with a pair of scissors and then get himself properly shaved next morning in the first country town he came to the first country town certainly that leads up to the next point we must try to be cool and collected she was quivering with suppressed emotion herself as she said it but her soothing hand still lay on mrs mallet's the next thing is he would leave london but not by rail you say he is an intelligent man and in the course of defending others has thought about this matter why expose himself to the needless risk and observation of a railway station no i saw at once what he would do Beyond doubt he would cycle. He always wondered it was not done oftener, under similar circumstances. But uh, has his bicycle gone? Lena looked. It has not. I should have expected as much. I told her to note that point very unobtrusively, so as to avoid giving the police the clue. She saw the machine in the outer hall as usual he is too good a criminal lawyer to have dreamt of taking his own mrs mallet interposed with another effort but where could he have hired or bought one at that time of night i exclaimed nowhere without exciting the gravest suspicion therefore i conclude he stopped in london for the night sleeping at an hotel without luggage and paying for his room in advance It is frequently done, and if he arrived late, very little notice would be taken of him. Big hotels about the Strand, I am told, have always a dozen such casual bachelor guests every evening. And uh, then? And then, this morning, he would buy a new bicycle, a different make from his own, at the nearest shop, would rig himself out at some ready-made tailor's with a fresh tourist suit probably an ostentatiously tweedy bicycling suit and with that in his luggage carrier would make straight on his machine for the country he could change in some copse and bury his own clothes avoiding the blunders he has seen in others perhaps he might ride for the first twenty or thirty miles out of london to some minor side station and then go on by train towards his destination quitting the rail again at some unimportant point where the main west road crosses the great western or the south-western line great western or south-western why those two in particular then you have settled in your own mind which direction he is taken pretty well i judge by analogy lena your brother was brought up in the west country was he not mrs mallet gave a weary nod in north devon she answered on the wild stretch of moor about hartland and clovelly hilda wade seemed to collect herself now mr Legate is essentially a celt a celt in temperament she went on he comes by origin and ancestry from a rough heather-clad country he belongs to the moorland in other words his type is the mountaineer's but a mountaineer's instinct in similar circumstances is, what, why, to fly straight to his native mountains. In an agony of terror, in an excess of despair, when all else fails, he strikes a beeline for the hills he loves, rationally or irrationally, he seems to think he can hide there. Hugo legate, with his frank boyish nature, his great Devonian frame, is sure to have done so. I know his mood. He has made for the West Country. You are right, Hilda, Mrs. Mallet exclaimed with conviction. I am quite sure, from what I know of Hugo, that to go to the West would be his first impulse. And the legates are always governed by first impulses, my character reader added. She was quite correct from the time we two were at oxford together i as an undergraduate he as a don i had always noticed that marked trait in my dear old friend's temperament after a short pause hilda broke the silence again the sea again the sea the legates love the water was there any place on the sea where he went much as a boy any lonely place i mean in that north devon district Mrs. Mallet reflected a moment. Yes, there was a little bay, a mere gap in high cliffs, with some fishermen's huts and a few yards of beach, where he used to spend much of his holidays. It was a weird-looking break in a grim sea-wall of dark red rocks, where the tide rose high, rolling in from the Atlantic. The very thing! Has he visited since he grew up? To my knowledge, never— Hilda's voice had a ring of certainty. Then that is where we shall find him, dear. We must look there first. He is sure to revisit just such a solitary spot by the sea when trouble overtakes him. End of chapter four. Part one. Read by Lars.